Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, the most important document in the free world is under attack. This attack is coming from within. The papacy is unrelenting in its effort to control America through its servants and friends within the various branches of the U.S. government, so that it will be able to implement canon law in the United States and bring America to its knees in worship of Rome's authority. It is vitally important that you and I get ready for the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we will look at yet another assault on the Constitution, as the world is preparing to persecute God's people for their faith and practice of the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath commandment. And as we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we have known that prophecy reveals that there will be a change in the world, a change that is designed to bring God's people who keep all the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus into a position where they will not have mercy or justice. We pray that we can have the faith to live by your law of love. It means so much to us that you love us and care for us, even though our lives in this world are very difficult. We know that heaven will be wonderful. We pray that you will preserve us and put your Holy Spirit in us so that we may live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The trouble is, my friends, most people are thinking about peace and safety. They are not thinking about the sudden destruction. When Noah went into the ark, the people were thinking peace and safety. And for seven days they salved their consciences that nothing would happen and that all would go on as before with no disruption. Then suddenly the storm came and they were swept away. It was too late. The important issue for God's people to remember today is that the battle is over their hearts, their loyalty to God and obedience to His commandments. Rome tries to enslave men to her teachings. She is merchandising in the souls of men, says Revelation 18. And most people don't understand this. They think that Romanism is just fine. Even Protestants think that they have nothing to fear from Rome. But in the end, they will weep over her. But it will be too late. They don't realize that sudden destruction is lurking for them too. Many of God's remnant people are satisfied to think that Jesus will forgive them if they sin. And while this is true if they repent, it is not enough. Jesus must have a people in the last generation who are beyond the holy place experience of for sinning and being forgiven, sinning and being forgiven, sinning and being forgiven. He is preparing a group of people that are mature in their experience 
and have overcome all sin and have successfully resisted the temptations of the devil. This doesn't happen by outward sign, my friends. It doesn't happen by some bolt of lightning or some supernatural in manifestation. It is a quiet process that happens in the heart that is given over to Jesus. He refines it. He remolds it. He changes the character into his character. And when this is accomplished, then you can see the signs of the times for what they really are. When you have victory over your sins, then you are ready to take the steps of a mature Christian walk that Jesus has for you. Let us read 1 Thessalonians 5 again with more verses. Beginning with verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And today, my friends, we are living in a sober time in earth's history. This is the day of atonement. Jesus is doing his work of blotting out the sins of those that are giving them up by faith and not doing them anymore. Do you have sins that you want to turn over to Jesus so that you don't have to do them anymore and can have them blotted out? If so, let Jesus have them now. Let him take over your heart. There's no problem that he cannot solve. There is no pain that he cannot heal. There is no burden that he cannot bear. And there is no victory that he cannot give you. You can live a life of holiness to the Lord if you truly want to. It doesn't matter how bad you've been or how sinful. You can put all of that behind you and live for Jesus. We must do this because we are coming right down to the crisis. Satan is working through his agents on earth to create terrible circumstances for God's people. Listen to this important statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. That's from the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 452. What does it mean not to have mercy or justice? Isn't that what Jesus went through? Most of God's people don't want to think about it. They seem to think that everything will go on as before. It is hard for their minds to grasp the significance of what is taking place around them and what will take place in time once the new system of inquisitorial justice is in place. They don't want to think that the land of the free will somehow become the land of persecution. They don't want it to change and are willing to blind their eyes to it so that they don't have to think about what is coming stealthily upon them. How are you going to stand? There's only one way, and that is by the protection of God. That means that you must have a close, intimate walk with God every day. 
Today, we are going to discover some amazing things about the changes in the Constitution of the United States that is preparing for the time when the Lord's people will not have mercy or justice. In fact, America is headed for a legal environment very similar to the Inquisition in the Dark Ages. This is how Satan and Rome would have it. The coming crisis will be controlled by forces that are principalities and powers far beyond you and me. But God has them in control. They can do nothing unless He gives them permission. God's end-time prophet says in the book Great Controversy, page 581, Rome is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. What does this mean? How is this happening? We have been tracing the footsteps of Rome in relation to the Constitution as it is being redefined more in harmony with the principles of Rome. Rome has gained much popularity, and this gives the bishops more opportunity to influence government leaders because they can offer votes in exchange for policies and laws. They are constantly at work. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in Washington is continually accessing legislative halls in Congress. Their Office of Government Liaison tracks legislation and seeks to influence lawmakers with their point of view. Rome is also working in other stealthy ways, as we shall see today. But the invisible hand of her influence is being felt everywhere. Most people don't recognize it because it is behind the scenes and not connected in their minds to prophecy. They don't know history, and so it's hard for them to tell how America is being legally paralleled with Rome. President Bush is a Methodist but he is working with the leaders of the Catholic Church in many, many ways, especially in relation to changes in the Constitution. He has his own political reasons for cooperating in a way that the bishops will approve, but through that cooperation, Rome gains her objective as well, the control of the politics and laws of America. But Rome's primary political target is the U.S. Constitution, she hates it above all else because it provides for religious liberty for all its citizens. As you may recall, the Constitution plays an important part in prophecy because it is the core document that underlies freedom in America, a nation that Scripture tells us Rome wants to control. There is no way that the prophecy of Revelation 13 can be fulfilled concerning the lamb-like beast or the United States without a dramatic change in the Constitution or the way the Constitution is interpreted and applied. Rome must change the Constitution if she's going to require all to worship in her prescribed way. No matter how much Americans love America, no matter how much they appreciate living in it, they will eventually recognize that it will have changed. But it will be too late for most. Those who follow prophecy will be able to watch the changes as they happen. Prophecy insists that America will speak as a dragon and formulate the image of the beast, a look-alike, of Rome. We don't judge the leaders of the nation unduly. There are honest people working at every level. If there weren't, our freedoms would have long ago vanished. But we cannot overlook the fact that America is being reformulated at this very moment. Perhaps it is hard for us to conceive of it. 
because we have such a high regard for the principles that made America great. But those principles are being replaced. Prophecy will be fulfilled. We must not forget that. The Constitution is being dismembered day by day, step by step, gradually and carefully. And Rome is gaining fresh courage daily to move forward with her agenda. The American leaders are steadily opening the door to her as best they can. Prophecy in relation to the Constitution of the United States is the focus of this series of sermons. And today we are going to talk about the new justice system that is replacing the tried-and-true justice system installed by our founders. It is important to realize that the new justice system that is being developed is inquisitorial, not constitutional. Rome has been seeking to implement the principles of the Inquisition in America and other countries for centuries and is now about to accomplish her purpose. These principles include detention for extended periods without trial or charges, tribunals instead of a court with a jury of peers, no access to accusations by the defense, assumption of guilt, and even torture. The U.S. Constitution guarantees that these things will not be used in the United States. But the people of the United States are being prepared to accept these principles of Rome, even against their own citizens. Right now, they are mostly being tested on those that are not citizens, but that is only where it starts. I also want to point out that this is not about politics. It is about prophecy. It is not about the Democrats versus the Republicans. Under the pressure of terrorism, these developments would occur no matter who runs the government. It is not about liberals or conservatives, for these kinds of changes can and have happened under both types of government. Whatever the reasons, whatever the motives, terrorism has created circumstances that make it easy for the Constitution to be reinterpreted or undermined and changed. It is hard for some to separate politics from prophecy, because prophecy does involve politics. It is, however, important that we keep in mind that though we talk about the things that are being debated in the press in a political context, we are actually staring the fulfillment of prophecy in the face. When God's prophet says that Rome is piling up her massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated, that's Great Controversy 581, we had better pay attention. What were the persecutions of the horrible Inquisition? They involve secret prisons, torture, secret evidence, unlimited detention, trial by tribunal, surveillance of average citizens, and much, much more. And while Rome is making ready in the old world, the United States works with Rome to form the image of the beast in the new, according to Revelation 13, and will do what Rome tells her. That's why we are seeing so much in the press about torture, surveillance, extended detentions without access to lawyers, secret evidence not available even to the defendant. These things must become acceptable to the American public mind so that when the time comes, Satan can use these principles against God's remnant church. One example of how America is being reshaped is the way in which those captured by the United States in the war on terror are treated. Those who are detained have been called enemy combatants, not prisoners of war. The purpose was to legally circumvent 
the Geneva Conventions of 1949 so that prisoners could be treated in less than humane ways. This was a new category of enemy, defined as those who are not authorized by a government to conduct war or were fighting without a uniform. This rather creative definition was intended to provide latitude for the U.S. government to deprive them of their rights under the Geneva Conventions. The Geneva Conventions require that prisoners of war be treated humanely, which includes the conditions under which they are held, a fair trial if they have committed a crime, and no torture. But the Bush administration, for the years immediately following the September 11 attacks, denied its enemy combatants these basic protections because they had not been classified as prisoners of war, even though the intent of the Geneva Conventions would have included all prisoners in any conflict whatsoever. The detainees could not challenge their detention in court, nor could they see the evidence against them, reported USA Today on December 2, 2004. They were, for a long time, denied access to lawyers, and even when they were finally given access, they were not permitted to see the evidence against them. The administration continues to fight very strongly to defend a policy that anything could be done to prisoners in the process of interrogation, except actions which cause organ failure. To define torture as only those actions which cause organ failure is to violate the spirit as well as the letter of the Geneva Conventions, international human rights laws, and common decency. Very quickly, there arose an outcry against the American administration for condoning the abuse of prisoners in Abu Ghraib, the prison in Afghanistan, and shortly afterwards the treatment of prisoners in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Later, outrages over the treatment of prisoners in a program of extraordinary rendition run by the CIA and authorized by Donald Rumsfeld, the defense secretary, increased concern over America's disregard for international law. Extraordinary rendition is another term for torture of prisoners held in secret prisons. A well-known example of the abuse of a detainee is the case of Maher Arar, a Syrian-born Canadian citizen who was detained by the CIA at JFK Airport in New York on suspicion that he was linked to al-Qaeda. He was shipped off to Syria where he was imprisoned in a rat-infested dungeon and brutally tortured, said the New York Times of February 26, 2006. Mr. Arar was beaten and abused only on suspicion of being a terrorist, not on the actual fact. He was presumed guilty and was treated inhumanely. The CIA knew he would be tortured in the interrogation process in Syria. Mr. Arar was finally released from the Syrian prison because the Syrians found no link to al-Qaeda. Mr. Arar sued for damages in a federal district court in Brooklyn. The judge did not dispute the U.S. officials had reason to know that Mr. Arar faced the likelihood of torture in Syria, which would have made it illegal to transport him there for questioning under current U.S. law. But he took the rare step of blocking the lawsuit entirely saying that the use of torture in rendition cases is a foreign policy question not appropriate for court review, and that going forward would mean disclosing state secrets, said the Times. If the use of torture is beyond court review, 
then the law is meaningless. The Times pointed out that with the Bush administration claiming imperial powers to detain, spy on, and even torture people, and the Republican Congress stuck in enabling mode, the role of judges in checking executive branch excesses becomes all the more crucial. If the courts collapse when confronted with spurious government claims about the needs of national security, so will basic American liberties. On September 18, 2006, a Canadian government commission exonerated Mr. Arar and issued a scathing report that faulted Canada and the United States for his deportation four years ago to Syria. Said the New York Times, A Canadian Justice Dennis R. O'Connor, head of the commission, said that categorically there is no evidence to indicate that Mr. Arar has committed any offense or that his activities constituted a threat to the security of Canada, and by extension, the United States. The, method, the methods used now are strikingly similar to those used by the Inquisition to extract information from its victims. Those who have studied the Inquisition would know that prisoners were assumed guilty were held without charge and without knowledge of accusations against them, were interrogated under torture, not provided with protected legal counsel, and tried by tribunal that had already presumed their guilt rather than a jury of peers. Some argue that this kind of approach to human rights is okay because these prisoners are not American citizens and that this could never happen to U.S. citizens because of their constitutional protections but the new American methods would not be limited to foreigners only. Jose Padilla, a Chicago-born American citizen, was captured on his arrival at Chicago O'Hare International Airport and detained as an enemy combatant. In his announcement about the arrest of Jose Padilla, John Ashcroft, at the time the Attorney General, stated that he had recommended that the President of the United States, in his capacity as Commander-in-Chief, determined that Padilla is an enemy combatant who poses a serious and continuing threat to the American people and our national security. He also stated that Padilla had been transferred from the custody of the Justice Department to the custody of the Defense Department. Padilla remained in Defense Department control for three and a half years, without charge or trial or any due process, and for most of the time without access to a lawyer. The U.S. government used laws designed for foreign terrorists to detain him, merely on suspicion of being involved in planning a major terrorist attack using a dirty bomb. The Bush administration justified this on the basis that the war on terror is a different kind of war. Well, there are a number of legal questions involved. For example, how does the president have the insight to determine if a detainee is or is not a terrorist criminal? And is his judgment so infallible that no one can question its truthfulness? Does the president or any one man have the power under the Constitution to make such a determination? These are powers that the Constitution has not given to the president, even in wartime. If the defendant has no access to courts... How can he show that he is not a terrorist? If he has no access to a lawyer, how will he ever be able to know how to approach the issues of law? 
if there are no formal charges against him, and he only knows that he is held on suspicion of terrorism, how will he be able to address a specific charge? Suspicion is very fluid and changeable. If he doesn't have access to the evidence against him, how can he confront it and clear himself? Without a trial, how can the government really show that they have a case? This creates distrust of the government, and if the people allow this kind of justice during the time of war, will they return to constitutional justice after the war is over? If the government is permitted to usurp these powers and set itself up over the Constitution, will America remain the land of the free? If in time of war, with a well-villainized enemy, such as the terrorist, the president is permitted to conduct himself unlawfully and unconstitutionally, will he have any better behavior when God's people become the new enemy and are sufficiently villainized? Will God's people suffer less than humane treatment? Will they be subject to torture and lose their rights to constitutional guarantees? The U.S. Constitution was designed to prevent just this type of injustice. The framers knew the history of the Inquisition. They knew what had happened in Europe over 1,200 years. They hungered for freedom themselves and gave their blood to establish a land with liberty and justice for all. If you're reading the Catholic press, Rome keeps speaking about justice for all, but her system of justice is the farthest from it. As her system of justice is being introduced into the United States, she is not protesting but aiding and abetting it. It is her adherents, or those that she is manipulating, that are bringing these things into our beloved land of liberty. Perhaps Padilla is a terrorist. If so, then let the American people see the evidence in court. But unfortunately, that is not what the government wants to do. The system that the administration is trying to set up is arranged so that the accused has no recourse. The defendant cannot prove his innocence, cannot challenge his detention, cannot see the evidence. The government doesn't want to have to marshal the necessary arguments. They don't want to bring their cases before the courts. The Inquisition thrived on a secretive environment such as this. The implications are serious for God's people. The real target behind all the changes in the justice system of the United States is God's remnant people. That we know from prophecy. You won't read that in the public press. You have to turn to the Bible in the spirit of prophecy to know what is really going on. These things are not presently seen nor are they understood by many who are actually implementing the new system. But Satan knows that he cannot persecute God's people unless the Constitution is overthrown. Rome knows that it cannot persecute those that don't go along with her Sunday worship unless these things are in place. The New York Times of November 23, 2005, reported that when challenged, the administration fought for its right to detain Mr. Padilla without due process, all the way to the Supreme Court. But on November 22, the administration changed its mind in order to avoid having to argue the case before the Supreme Court. The Bush administration charged Mr. Padilla only with aiding other terrorists and handed him over to a civilian court. The administration feared losing the case at the Supreme Court and would have then had legal restrictions based on case law. 
or on how it can treat those it considers to be enemy combatants, especially if they are U.S. citizens. The charges filed against Mr. Padilla, the Times said, do not have the remotest connection with the original accusations. The charges do nothing to clear up the enormous legal questions created by his detention in the first place. The legal adjustments to permit torture were orchestrated by Alberto Gonzalez, now the Attorney General, John Yu, a junior lawyer in the Justice Department, and David Addington, another Justice Department lawyer at the time. Gonzalez signed the memo that patently attempted to justify the use of torture. Mr. Gonzalez stated in his now famous memo that the war on terrorism is a new kind of war that requires the United States to go to unusual lengths to get information about potential terrorist plots. USA Today further revealed that Mr. Gonzalez's memo stated that new circumstances had made the internationally recognized Geneva Conventions obsolete and that some Geneva restrictions are now quaint. In other words, Mr. Gonzalez was seeking support from the Justice Department to use torture to get information in violation of the Geneva Conventions. On January 7, 2005, USA Today reported that Mr. Gonzalez was instrumental in decisions to detain non-citizens and citizens alike, as long as the war on terrorism lasts, and to use stress and duress interrogation tactics to gather intelligence on potential terrorist attacks. Mr. Gonzalez is a practicing Roman Catholic who has a legal philosophy similar to the Inquisition. Is it any wonder that we are heading away from a constitutional justice system to one which is more Romanist? But Alberto Gonzalez and his legal buddies are not the only ones in the administration working to establish inquisitorial practices in the United States. Congress tried to intervene and restrict the use of torture. But on January 15, 2005, the International Herald Tribune reported that the U.S. Congress scrapped a bill that would prevent the use of torture. I will quote the Tribune. The restrictions will, would have extended to intelligence officers a prohibition against the use of torture or inhumane treatment. Congress is going to restrict the use of torture, but something happened, and they dropped the restrictions from the proposed law. The Tribune revealed what happened. In a letter to members of Congress, Condoleezza Rice, the National Security Advisor at the time, expressed opposition to the measure on the grounds that it provides legal protections to foreign prisoners to which they are not now entitled under applicable law and policy. The Tribune also revealed that in intense closed-door negotiations, four senior lawmakers from the House and Senate deleted the restrictions from the final bill. I would like to know more about those four senior lawmakers, but I could not find information about who they were. This very revealing article shows that even though torture and inhumane treatment is against international law, the administration clearly believes that it can violate these laws on mere technicalities. Incidentally, the administration has described itself as at war with a group of religious extremists and has systematically developed the American mind to fear and hate religious extremists. There will be no legal barrier to torture and abuse against those detained for their faith when a new definition of extremist makes God's people the object 
of the new legal environment. That day will come. Interestingly, a little more than a year later, Condoleezza Rice was invited to be the commencement speaker at Boston College on May 22, 2006. Boston College is a prestigious Jesuit university. She was also awarded an honorary law degree from that institution. And though Condoleezza Rice did not grow up Catholic, she was raised a Presbyterian, her father being a minister, she nevertheless is widely appreciated by Catholics. It happens that there were some who protested the Boston College invitation to speak because she strongly supported the war in Iraq and holds pro-abortion views. But that didn't stop the university from proceeding. Obviously, the bishops were not that concerned about her position concerning the war in Iraq, perhaps because it is not a core issue for Roman Catholics. No doubt their admiration for her outweighed the negatives, even the strong ones, like her pro-abortion position. But more importantly, all the adulation would certainly gain future opportunities for the bishops. Perhaps the bishops close to the administration were instrumental in arranging the whole event. It is also very interesting that Boston College awarded her an honorary degree in law when Condoleezza Rice has played a key role in undermining the Constitution, which she was sworn to uphold among her various duties as Secretary of State. Before she became Secretary of State, she was National Security Advisor to President Bush, which would have certainly placed her in a position to deal with questions related to civil liberties and the Constitution as the nation grappled with the events of 9-11 and as the Bush administration immediately began to implement its security agenda at the expense of the Constitution. Awarding Ms. Rice an honorary law degree from a Jesuit university is perhaps the ultimate statement of Rome's distaste for the U.S. Constitution and its desire to implement inquisitorial justice in the United States of America. Condoleezza Rice, who describes herself as deeply religious, according to USA Today, knows the bishops as well as President Bush. They know how well they can work with her, and obviously it was felt somewhere along the line that a little help from the Jesuit Boston College would sweeten the interchange, particularly if Condoleezza Rice would one day run for president. These revelations should be a warning to every follower of Christ. Listen to the history of the Jesuits from Great Controversy, page 235. Under various disguises, the Jesuits worked their way into offices of state, climbing up to be counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. They became servants to act as spies upon their masters. They established colleges for the sons of the princes and nobles and schools for the common people. And the children of Protestant parents were drawn into an observance of popish rites. The Jesuits rapidly spread themselves over Europe, and wherever they went there followed a revival of popery. Is it any wonder that Rome has become so popular today and that there is such a revival of popery? All the world is wandering after the beast, just like Revelation 13 says. Do you remember the statement that God's prophet makes in the book Great Controversy, page 581? Rome is growing silently into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. 
She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. It is becoming more clear by the day what Rome's agenda really is. Only a few people in the end will be the special target of the new Inquisition. It will be those that keep God's holy Sabbath day and live by all the Ten Commandments. The new system of justice that is being put in place will be buttressed by a Supreme Court with a majority of its members who are Roman Catholic. In addition, there will be a strong majority of Sunday keepers, as many of the non-Catholics on the court will likely uphold a Sunday law when it is implemented. Let us come back now to the current legal status of the detainees. Recently, President Bush was forced by the Justice Department to back up and change his policies concerning treatment of prisoners. He has been negotiating with a restive Congress in which some of his own conservative Republican Party rebelled against him on these constitutional points. Incidentally, if you think it is just the liberals that are concerned about these things, you may have missed something. The fact that conservative Republican lawmakers, though a minority, made a stink about the raw usurpation of presidential power and the treatment of detainees helps to strengthen the point about prophecy and the Constitution. It's not just the liberals that are concerned. But having said that, it is also clear that they are willing to negotiate, and with it, negotiate away many personal liberties embedded in the Constitution. Perhaps they won't allow the president to go as far as he would like, but they will not be able to bring him back to the respect for the Constitution that it deserves. The president is dealing with political realities. In the absence of any real terrorism on American soil in more than five years since September 11, Americans have less tolerance for compromises of their personal liberties for security. If there would have been fresh attacks, the president may well have been able to continue dismembering the Constitution. The troubling part of it all is that the administration has taken the assault on the Constitution as far as it has while Congress has mostly let him do it. The conservative Republicans aren't willing to fight against him too much. They are also dealing with political realities. They know that if they fight too much, they may lose their voter support. So they were willing to compromise and make a deal with the president for the time being. They are willing to play politics with the Constitution and with the liberties of the people. The president may have to step back a bit, but he will not step back to where the whole thing started. He continues to press his agenda to deny justice and mercy to anyone suspicioned of being involved in terrorism. A few setbacks always happen, but he is determined. While to some that may seem justifiable, what happens when the new enemy is God's people? What happens when there is a new kind of religious extremist, one that terrorizes religious people, perhaps? I'd like to point out, however, that there is another reality that most people miss. 30% of the House of Representatives and 24% of the Senate are Roman Catholic, and over 300 non-Catholic lawmakers in Congress are Sunday keepers. This should warn us of what will happen when Sunday laws are pressed in Congress. Here's another point that many people miss. Whenever there is an assault on principle whether it is the principles of truth and righteousness, the doctrines of God's remnant church, or the principles of the Constitution, there is a universal process that occurs. 
First there is a slow and subtle change. Then the floodgate opens for a while, and changes happen fast and furious, including some changes that are perceived by most as too radical. Then there is a backing up. But the backing up is never to the point where the changes began. The backing up is only part way, perhaps off the outer, more radical edge of change. Then the process goes back to the slower pace for a while, and the whole cycle starts over again. In this way, Satan makes progress, step by step, toward his goal. The ominous reality is that though President Bush has been forced to move back away from his Roman Catholic-inspired and terrorist-facilitated purpose, he still has the mentality and the purpose to take America to the next level of inquisitorial law and justice. The administration continues to develop as many of the anti-constitutional principles of justice and law that they can. When a new emergency occurs, whether real or created, where will he or a future president take America in terms of its constitution? Many predict martial law and the suspension of the constitution if another major attack strikes America. Though the political debate is very interesting, it is a very dangerous time for God's people. What is being debated sounds like a struggle over what to do with terrorism suspects, for now. Once inquisitorial law is established in the United States, there is going to be a switch in enemies, or at least an expansion of enemies. In any case, Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. 5T452 The Roman Church is far-reaching in her plans and modes of operation. She is employing every device to extend her influence and increase her power in preparation for a fierce and determined conflict to regain control of the world, to re-establish persecution, and to undo all that Protestantism has done. Catholicism is gaining ground on every side. And that is from Great Controversy, page 565 and 566. The new Inquisition currently being put in place is preparing for the last great determined conflict against the truth of God and His faithful people. The new system will be designed to be unjust and unmerciful, just like God told us it would. It is amazing how that even the little things found in prophecy are being fulfilled in the preparations that are being made for the last great conflict between truth and error, between God's people and Satan's. Which side are you going to be on? Will you be a worker for Christ, or will you be a worker for Satan? We all face the reality that we are on one side or the other. You cannot be neutral. My friends, as we see these things develop in the United States, we are reminded that we are living in the final moments of Earth's history. We need the power of God in our lives. This is no time to play around with sin. This is not the time to delay our preparation for the coming crisis. Jesus is coming soon. Let us make the preparations necessary to see Him in glory with great joy. Jesus gave His life so that He can give you the power to be victorious. The cross is a reminder of the malignant hatred of Satan for Jesus, which has now been transferred to His followers. You are the special target. You will suffer much like Christ if you are faithful. 
Maybe God is allowing you to go through trials now so that you will understand what is going to happen in the future. Maybe you are afflicted now so that you will have strength then. Nothing is wasted. Remember that Jesus loves you and is working for your salvation above all else. His sacrifice should be the hope of your soul when you go through similar trials. And may the Lord find you faithful. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are living in a sober time. We realize that the steady march of principalities and powers in this world is an ominous warning to us. We pray that we will learn to be faithful and loyal to your law. May we live by the Holy Ten Commandments. May we have Jesus in our hearts at all times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope you have received a great blessing from this month's message. The song you have just heard, It Was For Me, is from a CD entitled Chosen For One.